Welcome to Sideline Sleuths, a true crime podcast all about the tragic yet fascinating cases no one can seem to get enough of. I'm Megan. And I'm Jasmine. We're so glad you're listening. If you like being an armchair detective, you'll love being a Sideline Sleuth. Welcome back, everyone. I'm so glad you're joining us again after our much longer than expected pause in releasing episodes. This is our second one back, and we are so glad to have you with us again. Originally, I wanted to come back last October in time to do some Domestic Violence Awareness Month episodes, but that obviously didn't happen. So I'm super glad that we're chugging along here again this October. Since we're only doing one episode a month currently, today's episode will be about a crime where the victim was harmed by someone they were either with at the time of the incident or had been in a relationship with previously. We typically discuss unsolved cases, but we do sometimes sprinkle a few solved ones in here, and today's case is solved. If you're a longtime listener, you know that domestic violence is an issue that is very personal for me, and I think it's important that we talk about what these individuals experienced and bring attention to this difficult topic. While we're on the topic of domestic violence, I want to talk about me for a second. Two years ago in episode 29, we talked about a few domestic violence stories, one being my own. I was previously in an abusive relationship where I was eventually stabbed by my partner and developed post-traumatic stress disorder. There have been some updates with that story since we recorded that episode, so I'm going to give you a quick recap before we jump into today's story. So in December of 2019, my ex-boyfriend was reportedly involved in a road rage shooting. Fortunately, no one was injured in that shooting, but he ended up being charged with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, I think, for that one. Anyway, he finally was arrested. Yeah. Like, I don't know. out there with a gun. And he's a felon, so. Not that that really stops people, but. So he was finally arrested in February of 2020 and spent several months in the county jail for charges of evading arrest, deadly conduct, two different aggravated assault charges, theft of property under $150,000, and arson. But just before his court date, he was transferred to another facility due to a federal charge, which was unlawful possession of a firearm by a felon. And in early January of this year, he was officially sentenced to 10 years in federal prison for that crime and seven years for the other crimes. Honestly, that short amount of time is really laughable because that's like a whole lot of felonies. And I thought Texas was supposed to be tough on crime, but it is what it is. And I'm currently happy that he's behind bars and I'm safe. I have really appreciated all the sweet and encouraging messages that I still get from you guys about episode 29. Hmm. It was such a difficult story to live through and then tell you guys, and your encouragement has really meant a lot to me. Last year, I was a guest on a mental health podcast called View from the Carnival, where I talked about my life with PTSD. If you're interested in listening to that, I'm episode 42. Okay, so let's get into today's story. Today, we're going to talk about the murder of high school cheerleader Demi Bray Kusha, who was killed in August of 2007 in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, by an 18-year-old man. I first heard about this case in 2007 because I was volunteering as a public speaker for dating violence and sexual assault awareness through RAIN, the Rape Abuse and Incest National Network. That partnership took me to cities and states all over the country to give speeches, and I learned about Demi's story when I was being interviewed for a radio show back then. So here's what we know. Demi was murdered the day after her 16th birthday by her ex-boyfriend, John Malarkey Jr. Friends referred to their relationship as delicate or off and on. John had just graduated. Yeah, that's like a a weird adjective. I feel like volatile. Yeah. Stormy. Criminal. I don't know. Okay. 
John had just graduated from high school and Demi was still attending. A neighbor of Demi's whose daughters were friends with her described John as possessive and jealous. At least one source reported that John was Demi's first, like, real boyfriend, and that he had also been friends with Demi's older brother, meaning that he had spent a significant amount of time around the family and in their home. On August 15th, 2007, Demi was stabbed 16 times in her upper body. An autopsy would later determine that a stab wound to her left shoulder was the fatal one. Reports say that neighbors came outside after hearing screaming coming from the Kusha home. They said that Demi walked outside screaming and covered in blood as she yelled, quote, he stabbed me. Shortly after, John Malarkey also exited the home bleeding. Demi shouted at him, get away from me, I hate you, I hate you, before she lost consciousness. John walked a short distance away before he collapsed as well. When police arrived on the scene, John reportedly said, quote, I did this. Investigators found a three and a half inch pocket knife on the floor inside the Kusha home. It was a murder and an attempted suicide. After assaulting Demi, John slit his own throat almost ear to ear with that pocket knife. Oh my. The cut was so deep that his esophagus was exposed. Before he collapsed, he texted his mom and said, I stabbed myself at Demi's. I love that's you. That's not a stab. That's a slice. Yeah. I just feel like that's just like a scary way to commit suicide. Yeah. Like I don't know. Like, Maybe I'm just, a, I couldn't, I couldn't hurt myself like that. I don't know. We need to be like to give instant. Like, yeah. Who wants to your esophagus? I don't know. Like my throat hurts telling you this. Okay. His blood covered phone was later found outside of Demi's house, but John did not die from his self-inflicted injuries. In the days leading up to Demi's murder, she and John exchanged a lot of text messages that ended up being used in the murder trial. Witnesses quoted in a police statement said that Demi got a text from John where he threatened to hurt her. (gasps) Another witness told police that he knew of a loud and potentially violent argument that the pair had on August 12th, so just days prior. At 1 a.m. on the morning of Demi's death, John texted her, quote, Don't let this go. I know we had bad times and good. Everyone has that. We had a little more bad. That just means we have a lot of good to do. Just manipulative. so much. Yeah. No, just like repainting the way she experienced the relationship. Don't let him do that. Your experience of it is right. Relatable. I guess I'm exposing that. It, that is very relatable. Yes. <laughs> In the two days leading up to the fatal stabbing, John sent Demi about 40 texts with more than a dozen sent on the day she died, including one saying, quote, wow, you don't love me and can't live without me. And another saying, everything is more important than the guy you love. Now, this is significant because this is 2007 and it's not like how texting is now. They were like, you had a certain allotment of text messages oh. or like price per text message. Or you had to hit each key yeah. like 13 times. Yeah, okay, to get the S. Yeah, times, but a lot. a lot of times to get to the letters. So, so sending 40 in a day is is like a lot. Because like I remember maybe like not 2010, maybe 2005, where I got like 300 text messages a month, which is crazy because I send 300 text messages a day. Yeah. <laughs> like no, my dad not, used to like turn that text. feature off on my phone where I could receive them, but I couldn't text back because I cost him so much money when I was 18. But Demi responded to some of his texts and some she ignored. One, she replied in all caps saying, quote, nothing is wrong, stop worrying. But John continued to text her over and over again, every five to 20 minutes until Demi finally agreed to talk to him face-to-face at her house. The text I'm referring to started at 4.07 p.m. At 4.57, John texted to make sure that Demi's older brother, Jake, wouldn't be at the house when they were talking. The text to his mom about what he had done was sent at 6.21, and police and paramedics started arriving around the same time. 
The texts to Demi, though, weren't the only ones shared at his trial, because earlier that day, he also texted a friend and said, quote, I have to see her. I just hope I don't do something stupid, end quote. But he did. So let's talk about the crime scene. A woman named Gail was visiting her daughter, who was Demi's neighbor. She said that she heard, quote, blood-curdling screams coming from the townhouse next door. She went outside and saw Demi exit her home yelling, I hate you, and he stabbed me, he stabbed me, as John Malarkey followed her outside. Demi grabbed onto Gail as she lost consciousness and fell. She tried to control the bleeding while other neighbors called 911. She was good to be there. Could you imagine, like, getting stabbed and then, like, like, you don't have a lot of energy. You don't have a lot of, I mean, like. Well, I mean, mine was emergency. totally different because I didn't know I got stabbed until the cops told me I got stabbed because adrenaline is bananas. Oh, I guess that makes sense. But just to like, to be like focused on yeah. articulating, like, I hate you. Yeah. Just yeah. be just really, to, like, I don't know. The cops came to my house and they were like, what's all this blood from? And I was like, oh, and they were like, well, he's not bleeding. And I was like, am I bleeding? And then they called paramedics and they poured water on my arm and they were like, yeah, that's your muscle. And I was like, oh. but it doesn't even hurt. And the guy goes, it will yet. And then when I went to the ER, I told the same guy that this doesn't even hurt. And he was like, yet. And then it hurt like hell, but, Sad day. but yeah, I can't imagine. I don't know. And then he's it like, seems like a really heightened. Yeah. Really intense situation. During the trial, Gail recalled that Demi's final moments were her becoming cold and clammy and asking for her mom before she lost she consciousness. She was a kid, man. She, just she was 16, a kid, yeah. When first responders arrived at the Kusha house, they found a trail of blood leading away from the front door. At the end of the trail, there was John Malarkey laying face down in a pool of blood. The opposite direction was another pool of blood, and at the end of that one, they found Demi Kusha, who was still alive. Paramedics testified at John's trial that Demi said, quote, I hate you, about John after they arrived on the scene. John had only been at Demi's house for about half an hour when the neighbors heard the screams. It is reported that John's intent was to go over there to reconcile with Demi, but if that's the case... Yeah, not with things like, oh, I hope I don't do something stupid. And, like, why do you have a knife? And why did you make sure nobody was there? Yes, exactly. So his defense would later say that he just always had the knife on him since his younger days as being a Boy Scout, but... Don't blame the Boy Scouts. Yeah. We can blame them for some other things, but... police we do. (laughs) Police said that they asked John if the knife was still inside the home, and he nodded yes. Inside, they found it on the Kusha living room floor. John told police that Demi had been stabbed maybe two or three times. But as I told you earlier, she was actually stabbed 16 times in her upper torso area. The prosecutor on the case would later state that some of her wounds were, quote, so vicious they were deeper than the blade's length. So that is like some serious like force and thrusting if the blade is three and a half inches deep, but the wounds are beyond that. He really wanted to hurt her. Demi never even made it to the hospital. Her father shared that with an audience listening to a teen dating violence presentation. He said, My daughter never made it to the hospital. She bled to death in our neighbor's arms, but that boy survived. You're just, you're never supposed to bury a kid. Like there's words for everything else. Like if you lose your spouse, if you lose your parent, but there's no word for if you lose your kid. Like widow, orphan, what is, because right. you're not supposed to. Oh, I never thought about that. That's kind of deep. Comments from people familiar with Demi and John's relationship were really mixed. There were people who seemed totally blindsided by the stabbing and other people who always thought John was dangerous. Another neighbor of Demi's family. Isn't that like the way that it always goes? Like you just never, you don't know. Like 
abusers aren't like not everybody sees them for who they are because they that's what they need. They need to like work the situation like that, you know? Right. They manipulate the situation so that they have a certain image. And even to the person that they're in a relationship with, I think that's why it's so fuzzy. Yeah. I think that's why we have to have like teen violence, you know, yeah. messages. Cause I've been rewatching Teen Mom sneaky. 2 on Netflix and I see all of the like toxic signs with Adam and Chelsea. Like the isolation and the gaslighting and that she can't be allowed to feel her own feelings or see things her own way. And I'm just like, get out, Chelsea. But I know that now she's like married and happy and has all these babies. So, oh. but it's so, like, don't That's ever. It. I feel like it's becoming more talked about. So it's a little, I don't know. It's hard to watch though, because like yeah. you're watching her being like emotionally and verbally abused in every single episode. Okay. And she was a baby too. She was like 18. Another neighbor of Demi's family, a woman named Donna, said that her daughters were friends with her, and she said, quote, I talked to Demi plenty of times. She was sitting in my living room, and I begged her to get away from him. It was reported that John tried to forbid Demi from wearing a bikini or traveling out of town for her school's summer cheerleading camp. Other people described John as funny and well-liked and said they didn't know him to have a violent side. But like we just said, that's not necessarily abnormal for domestic abusers, People can know them as funny and charming and not see who they are behind closed doors with their partner. And this leads to people being in denial or even victim blaming because they're like, not this guy. He would never. They must be mistaken. But that's that's what they they need it to be that way. A classmate of John's described him saying he was funny. He was fun to hang out with. I never thought he'd do that. But their relationship wasn't the greatest. I remember really vividly a girl that I used to be friends with, telling me that she was jealous of the relationship I had with the guy who stabbed me. She said, you can tell he really loves you. I want to be loved like that. And I used to hear her words play over and over in my head when we were in the middle of some scary argument because no one really knew what he was like when no one else was around. Mm. He did a great job of putting on an act for outsiders, and they often do. I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with Chris Watts and the 2018 triple homicide of his wife and daughters in Colorado. I know that I personally spent too long of a time like dredging through their Facebook accounts and the picture painted for the world was very different than the one we would later find out that they actually lived in. I did the same thing. It was embarrassing to me if people knew the things that happened to me when they weren't around, what he would say and what he would do and a lot of people don't see things like this coming because the guilty person doesn't want you to. They need to control the narrative. They need to control everything, including the person they're with. Within days, police filed homicide charges against John Malarkey while he was still recovering from his neck wound. Police were at Allegheny General Hospital ready to take him into custody as soon as he was released. It's worth mentioning that under Pennsylvania law where this occurred, that premeditation isn't about the advanced planning of a crime that you committed but rather, quote, a realization, however momentary, that one's actions could kill someone, end quote. It sounds like he had that realization in that text message. Yeah, I just hope I don't do something stupid. However vague. Yeah. He pleaded not guilty to the charges. So originally his defense didn't go with this because they wanted to go with the John didn't even stab Demi angle. But, the fact that he said he did. Yeah, but later that was changed. The trial wasn't about if John did or did not kill Demi Kusha. It became about what was his frame of mind at the time that he killed her. And I can't wait to tell you what his explanation was for committing this crime. So 
when John was in the hospital, he couldn't talk right because he had a neck wound. So he's communicating via dry erase board with homicide detectives. And apparently he wrote, if I did something and then like erased it and changed it to, if somebody did something and they were taking a medication, would that be a defense? So his defense was that his acne medication, Accutane, caused him to have violent mood swings, and that's why he stabbed his girlfriend 16 times and killed her. And I wish you guys could see Jasmine. Sometimes I wish this was on YouTube. <laughs> Making all kinds she's of like, gestures. like, time out, sign over here, like, she's <laughs> calling a football game. upsetting. It's just, I don't know. Like He did he, that to the cops on the whiteboard? Yeah, in the hospital still. Like, it's just... Uh, I just have a hard time sympathizing with anybody who's, like, formulating a defense... When, I mean, if you're really like, oh man, I was like swept away in the the yeah. The if it was like a crime, of, like of a heat of a moment or something, yeah. And blah 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 blah, and like I'm still. But he had the wherewithal to realize he needed to protect himself, and right. that's... if you can think that clearly, then where was your thinking? Yeah, agree. Hours ago, however long ago, he started taking Accutane about four months before the murder happened. Malarkey's defense attorney Robert Stewart contends that the defendant started taking Accutane before the crime and that it's this a, is a very ghetto defense i'm very upset i mean like it just it just seems like they're reaching i take birth control every month can i yep. uh, my hormones are all over the place guys and they're on a regimen can <laughs> i just do things yeah uh, okay. to, according to john malarkey jr and robert and i'm just like it's uh, it's, so sorry. it's my hormones <laughs> accutane is supposed to be a last resort for people who've tried all other acne medications without relief at the time of john's trial but i'm not sure about today the manufacturer's website said that it can cause, quote, serious mental health problems, including depression, suicide, and psychosis. Psychosis meaning seeing and hearing things that aren't real. Is that what he said? That he heard voices telling him to stab her? No, he just had mood swings. So his defense team- You could team, just be ugly, John. You could just let was. it go and just have your face that God gave you. His defense didn't necessarily blame Accutane for Demi's death, but instead presented it as John should not be held accountable for what happened because without the medication, he would not have committed the crime. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, just like I, I get this, like it's a slippery slope, you know? Like, yeah. There's type, people do drugs all the time. And, and they're create, still, yeah. They do heinous crimes. It explains what? what you did, but it doesn't excuse yeah, it. It doesn't make you, uh, in a it doesn't put you in a position it doesn't where absolve you should you of guilt. not yeah, be yeah. held accountable. Yeah. I don't even like that turn of phrase. Mm-hmm. So his attorney said, quote, the killing resulted from an unfortunate combination of factors, one of which was the medicine. So he's calling, I don't know, this girl's death an unfortunate combination of fact. I don't know. That just pissed me off. But he said, he continued like, quote, I'm not standing here saying that this medication, that and that alone excuses him of responsibility. You have to look at the surrounding history of these two. What you have is an unfortunate combination of factors, a perfect storm of what led to the tragic incident, end quote. And that is some victim blaming if I have ever heard it. Like the history of these two, the, the history somehow gets to be an excuse for murder. Like I saw something that the couple had in the past both cheated on each other, but like getting okay. cheated on doesn't warrant getting stabbed. If that's the case, I would have stabbed a few people. At this point, that same girl. Yeah. The deputy district attorney put it best when he said, quote, from John Malarkey's perspective, this case is about the redirection of blame. From him, the man who wielded the knife, to a faceless prescription drug that cures pimples. This is about a disgruntled boyfriend who was getting ready to get ditched. 
End yeah, quote. and he felt it, and it was looming, and it was ever-present, and he couldn't handle it. According to John's legal team, he has no recollection of the stabbing. Apparently, he told psychiatrists what? that— Right? How convenient. Apparently, he told psychiatrists that the two got into a shouting match, and he remembers pulling out his three-and-a-half-inch pocket knife from his pocket, but doesn't remember the actual stabbing. But he told cops he stabbed her two or three times. No, he said, I did this, and I stabbed her two or three times. The prosecutor thought that John's actions were premeditated. And he texted his mama and said, I did it. Yeah, I stabbed, yeah. No, he said, I stabbed myself at, De- at Demi's. He didn't say he stabbed Demi. He told his mom he stabbed himself at Demi's. Oh, okay, But he, what he really did was like almost incident. decapitate himself at Demi's. Ooh. But I guess that's like a, that's a lot of words. If you're, if you're yeah. pushing all the yeah, yeah. That's true with the weird keyboards, yeah. So like you had thumbs of lightning this whole episode. The prosecutor thought that John's actions were premeditated, saying, quote, somewhere along the continuum of 16 stabs, you decide to murder someone. And I think that's true. Like, yeah. one, 16? One time, yeah. Like, oh, man, what I do? 16 times. You thought about it a couple times. And remember, times, in and Pennsylvania law, again. it's the, the recognition, however momentary, that your actions could kill someone. Please tell me and yet you get convicted. Girl, I'm sorry. Don't skip ahead. But But Robert Stewart, John's defense attorney, said that a third-degree murder charge, which is a killing with malice but no premeditation, was more fitting, or maybe even voluntary manslaughter, which is a killing in the heat of passion. But he worked himself up. She texted him and told him everything is fine. Yeah. Believe her. Or don't, but don't stab her. Yeah, there's just like... I don't know. In Pennsylvania at the time, first-degree murder verdicts carried a life sentence without the possibility of parole, while third-degree murders had a maximum of 20 to 40 years, and manslaughter only 10 to 20 years. So just to cover all of our bases, the American Osteopathic College of Dermatology lists Accutane side effects as being chapped lips, which is experienced by 90% of users, dry skin and itching, 80% of users, Dryness of nose and mild nosebleed, 80%. Irritation of the eyelids and eyes, 40%. Joint and muscle pain, 15%. Temporary hair thinning, 10%. Rash, 7%. Intestinal symptoms, 5%. Urinary symptoms, 5%. Headache, 5%. Increased sensitivity to sun, 5%. Decreased night vision, less than 1% and depression and thoughts of suicide less than 1%. So is he experiencing any of these other symptoms? Also, couldn't all, couldn't his depression and whatever thoughts could have just been caused by having acne all his life? That's what make you upset. Yeah. I don't know, guys. <laughs> this is me just trying to diagnose. Just but like, I mean, like, it's, if you're gonna, it's like, not just, in, like, there's oh, too many factors. Yeah, yeah. And then not, like, his whole life is apparently a history. Like, yeah. Whatever. Yeah, that's true. If you want to bring up that, then, like, yeah, I, I agree. I see where you're going with that. I don't see where I'm going, but the point is I'm upset and I hope he gets convicted. Now tell me the truth. (laughs) Accutane's manufacturer didn't respond to media requests for comments, but at the time of the trial, the chief of pediatric dermatological surgery at the Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh said she prescribes Accutane to hundreds of patients she sees monthly. So Demi died in Monroeville. Pittsburgh is like, that's the general area. So she said, quote, in our practice, we've seen no clear cut link to mood changes or depression. They contended that the drug is effective in fighting severe acne with a handful of patients out of hundreds, while they happen to be on Accutane, have reported mood swings. Accutane has been used by millions of people since it was first introduced in 1982, but still patients are asked to sign waivers acknowledging potential side effects, and the FDA 
for non-American listeners, the Food and Drug Administration, does list thoughts of suicide and depression as a possible side effect. But that's really just like covering your butt. That's right, not like yeah. like thoughts of suicide and every drug says that, right? Not homicidal rages. Yeah. But here you go, Jasmine. The jury wasn't buying it. Oh, oh. I saw conflicting reports that it took them two hours to reach a verdict, with others saying it took only 45 minutes of deliberation. But regardless of the time frame, in June of 2009, the jury decided to convict John Malarkey Jr. of first-degree murder, and he was sentenced immediately to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Since Demi's murder, her father, Dr. Gary Kusha, started the Demi Bray Kusha Awareness Organization, whose mission is to, quote, educate our youth, parents, communities, and education system about the dangers of teen dating violence. Right, because that's the thing. It's like it, 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 I don't know, if you're not educated about it, then you can't avoid it. And like for a lot of people, it's like their first real relationship and they don't know necessarily what's normal and not normal. And like when somebody who's saying they love you is also doing awful things to you, you get a little confused. I'm a 34-year-old woman and you get a little confused about is that love? Oh, and also, like, it, you said, like, her family knew him. Like, he was familiar with the family. He was her so brother's friend. If yeah. no one's, like, get away from him in her own family, you know? Which is not to say that that's their job, you know? Yeah. But it's just it's just a really hard thing to detect, I think, for any person of Well, any and people age. try to hide it, too. So, like, I mean, I tried to hide it because it's embarrassing and you don't – and, like, you, you – Yeah, you keep it close to the chest as long as you think it's going to work out. My mom once told me that you shouldn't – now, I'm not saying this is necessarily right advice, but you shouldn't vent to like your family or somebody about because you will make up with them and they won't. So like right. while you can forgive something, like your mom's not like, have you seen the meme that's like, I already told my mom, I'm sorry. Like you can't be friends yeah, anymore. Yeah, sorry, it's over. So like <laughs> it's, it's so sometimes you don't say anything because you don't want to change that exactly. opinion, you know? Yeah. There's so, so there's so many, I, I guess there's just so many things that play into and you're dealing with like crazy like hormones and like a underdeveloped Everybody's frontal lobe yeah. yeah yeah dr kush's organization travels around to spread awareness of how violence can escalate in controlling relationships and that you can make like bad angry impulsive decisions that will follow you for the rest of your life Dr. Kusha said that the most important thing he wants people to learn from his speeches and Demi's story is that at or after the point of separation is the most dangerous time for people in abusive relationships. And we've said that before. He urges listeners not to put themselves in a situation where they are at any time during or after a breakup alone with that individual. I said earlier that I worked with Rain giving speeches, but we also did stuff with an organization called Love is Respect, which when it launched in 2007 was a hotline for dating violence, but today it has evolved into so much more than that. If you have any questions about warning signs or just want some other resources, their website is loveisrespect.org. With that being said, if you're a victim of domestic violence, please know it is never your fault and there are resources available to you, even if you are not ready or able to leave that relationship yet. If you know someone is a victim, be supportive by listening to them and asking how they're doing. Offer to help if you're willing and able and tell them about the resources available to them, such as a 24-hour a day, seven-day-a-week hotline for domestic violence victims. They are there to help. The number for that hotline is 1-800-799-7233, or you can go online to thehotline.org. And in case of an emergency, always dial 911. Thank you for listening to Sideline Sleuths. If you like what you hear, please drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or generally rave about us on your favorite streaming service. Positive reviews help us out a ton. 
A special thank you goes out to Chris Petro for this episode's music and editing. We love hearing from our listeners, so if you'd like to share comments, reactions, or thoughts on the show, you can find us at facebook.com slash sideline sleuths.